0: I just want to say a word about the sermon before we get to it, and uh, that is that there are a lot of scriptures that I'm going to give references for. I may quote them, I may not quote them, I just refer to them, and you may not be able to keep up. And what I I want you to know is you can go on our website, Calvary Baptist Church or CBC Stanton, and uh, you can uh, just go to the sermons thing, and there is what I'm looking at on my iPad, you can see uh, there. Uh, And... You can download the app, only it's disappeared off the iTunes store. We don't know. Uh, this morning, we could, somebody couldn't find it. Uh, they, they found a workaround and got it. But uh, I don't know what that problem is, but we'll work on that this week. So, uh, but you can keep after it. But there it is Calvary Baptist Stanton. That's the, uh, how you find it on the app store, uh, or used to be able to. Anyway, that's the name of it. But, um, and everything is there. And also, just one other quick thing. In 2018, I spent about nine weeks, about an hour, hour and a half each, uh, teaching on prayer. And those are available on the website and on the app. Uh, And you can go there and find them uh, and listen to them if you think they would help. Some of today is some of the stuff that is there. Um, And so I just want to let you know that. We're in this 2022 challenge of today. We want to talk about Prayer. We talked about fasting. We talked about faith. We talked about family. We're talking about prayer today. Next week, we're going to come back to faith, but actually it'll be the church. What is the faith of the church? The job of the church? What is a church? What is not a church? Steve, your family's right over there if you want to go sit with them. You're good. Okay. All right. Just sorry if you're watching this on Facebook. Just want to make sure he knew where they were. Um, anyhow, hey, listen, we have fun here, don't we? Well, I guess I, that's, I'm alone in this, huh? We, y'all have fun? Okay, good. All right. Praise the Lord. Well, um, I want to read uh, just a scripture and open in prayer. And uh, this is Psalm 84, just the first couple of verses. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. Would you pray with me? Lord, indeed, you are lovely, and so your dwelling place is lovely. We thank you, Father, that, that uh, you are a God of loveliness. You bring beauty to us and you dwell in a lovely place that you have called our home that you're going to bring us to. And, and uh, Lord Jesus, you promised us that in the Father's house, this lovely dwelling place, room for all who will come. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. And indeed, as we live out our life on this side where we see with uh, fleshly eyes but we look to you with eyes of faith we thank you lord that our soul longs for you our soul longs to be there in the courts of the lord and lord we sing with joy we our heart rejoices with joy to our living god we thank you that you hear us that you watch out for us that you look to us and that your presence is with us today we ask this day father that your spirit, uh, the spirit Christ, you would pour out the Holy Spirit on us, Lord Jesus. And that uh, today our eyes would be open to behold wonderful things out of your word. And that you would bring this uh, time together in your word into our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, you can be opening your Bibles to First uh, Corinthians chapter 1 if you would. uh, In 1 Thessalonians 5 and uh, verse 17, I have that up there. There is a a verse that says very simply, it's three short words, pray without ceasing. And that word ceasing, let's just define that going backwards. Uh, To cease means to stop. Well, it said without stopping, without ceasing. And that verse is always, I won't say trouble me, but it made me stop and think. What does it mean to pray without stopping? How's that possible? I mean, you're not supposed to talk with your mouth full, right? Uh, I I go to bed at night. Uh, You might, people might think you're strange. I, you know, still today, somebody will be talking somewhere in a store, and I'll look around, seeing if they're talking to me, and there's nobody around them. I, I think they're crazy. And then I see the earpiece and they're talking on their phone. Uh, so you might think, people might think you're crazy if you talk to God out loud uh, somewhere. Or they might think you just got a secret little iPhone thing going on or something. But, but what does that mean? And how is that possible? Well, uh, I'm not sure that I understand that completely. But I know this, that if you're meditating on God, meditating on his word, even in your sleep, it will affect Your rest It'll affect your uh, dreams and the things that uh, your mind does at night uh, because your brain is just processing everything you do during the day. And if the last thing you did before you went to bed wasn't about God, that's what's going to be going through your brain while you're sleeping. And so if we saturate ourselves in his word, we saturate ourselves uh, in that, it may be possible to pray indeed even in our sleep. Um, I want you to take this home with you today right here. Your prayer life reveals your spiritual condition. Your prayer life reveals your spiritual condition. If you want to turn with me there in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I welcome you to do so. And I want to point out a couple of things about the, the, this verse. Before, before I read it, I want to ask a question. Why should we pray? I mean, I'm talking about prayer, and I'm just saying I'm going to talk about prayer, and, and I kind of assume it's a big deal, and maybe you do too, but then it's like, well, let's ask ourselves, because the greatest question you can ask about anything is, why? Why am I doing this? Why are we doing this? Why are we going there? Why are we saying this? Because the why will help us to evaluate it in such a way that we can get rid of stuff that maybe we shouldn't be doing, because there is no why to it, or the why is wrong. But why pray? Well, I've already told you in, in 1 Thessalonians five seventeen. It's more or less a command, pray without ceasing. It's encouragement from Paul uh, to the church there in Thessalonica and also to us. But here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 2, we find something very strong. And and I want to talk about that. Why would a person not pray? Or why would uh, your prayers feel like, uh, why would you hesitate to pray, be the best way I could put that. And I can think of a couple of reasons. Uh, You might have done something you know is against God's will and you're embarrassed and ashamed and maybe even scared and you don't want to go in God's presence. I mean, it's like a little kid and knows he did something wrong, got caught by his parents, and that relationship gets marred. And maybe uh, maybe you just don't feel like you have a good relationship. Maybe it's as simple as uh, you just don't know what to do. You you feel like that prayer is this magical thing that only super saints can do and really get a hold of God. But the the reality is, if you're a believer, then the Holy Spirit, God, the Holy Spirit dwells in you, dwells in the church as when we come together as a whole. But but He also dwells in each individual member of the church. You have the God, the Holy Spirit in you to help you understand Scripture and to talk to God. He is with you. He's never apart from you. The Bible says that God promises he'll be with us and he would never, ever, never, never, never leave us. It's five emphasis on that, that he will be with us. And if he's right present with us, then we as believers can pray. So I want you to see what prayer indicates for an individual in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. It says, To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. I want to put that in context just a little bit. Notice it's 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians is written to correct some really gross errors in this church. The church at Corinth, number one, that was the worst place in the Middle East, in the the world of the scriptures, back in those days, there was no place worse than Corinth, and the church at Corinth still had some of that sin within it, and Paul writes this letter to correct all of that, and somewhere between 1st and 2nd Corinthians, they get it straight, and 2nd Corinthians, he's writing back to them to tell them what to do further, uh, to, you know, help the person who repented to get right, and to go on, he teaches them a lot, and it's a great book. But right here at the beginning of 1 Corinthians, he's writing to one of the most wicked churches that, that is recorded in the Scripture. And notice what he says, that you are sanctified in Christ Jesus. He's trying to get them to understand that they have been set apart. That word sanctified, sometimes we translate the same root word as holy. Holiness and sanctification means to be separated out of the crowd for uh, as a special thing for someone else in other words I used to watch old westerns when I was a kid black and white reruns rawhide and wagon train all that Especially on wagon train you know they'd always have uh, cattle on rawhide or whichever one they and and they would cut out that little calf those new ones that were born and what would they do they'd heat up that iron and psss, they'd brand them that's basically what sanctification means that God took us out of the world and he put his mark on us. He marked us. And so what Paul is saying to the Corinthians here is you've been marked by God. You have been sanctified. God has called you out for himself. Because now he's going to build on that later to say, and if you belong to God, you ought not be doing this. Okay, uh, but, but in the very beginning, he wants to lay that groundwork. And so prayer identifies a person. It marks you as belonging to To God. And notice what he says. You are made holy. Sanctified in Christ Jesus. To be saints together with all those who in every place. Call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Both theirs and ours. In other words. If you've been sanctified. If you've been made holy. You will call upon Christ. You'll call upon the Lord. So that's why I gave you that sentence. Prayer reveals your spiritual condition. So if you're not praying, there's there's got to be a problem somewhere. And so the first thing I want to talk to you about just briefly are hindrances to prayer, because I want to go real positive after that. What are some things that could hinder your praying or for God to hear you or for you even getting in front of him? And one I didn't mention earlier, I saved it for this, is you're lost. Had a man ask me one time, how come I can't understand the Bible? I said, because he wrote it to those who belong to him. And if you don't belong to him, how, how are you going to understand a love letter written to somebody else? you got to become his to understand everything in Scripture, right? And you, if you're lost, God does not guarantee he'll listen to any prayer you pray, he guarantees he'll listen to one, and that is that when you call upon him for salvation, he said, call on me. And uh, in, in John chapter 7, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, out of him, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And so Jesus promises that if you feel that thirst, you will call upon, you can call upon the Lord and he will answer you. But if... But if you are lost and you don't feel that, God is not under obligation to hear your prayer. I mean, even country music writers know that. I mean, there there was a song, Thank God for Unanswered Prayer, right? Sometimes uh, we, we get this reality check, even not in the scripture, but somewhere else. And God is not under obligation to hear your prayer if you're not one of His. Now, if He's your Father, He always hears and He always says yes. I'll show you that later. Doesn't sound as good as I just said it, but it is true. But if you're lost, the only prayer you have that you can pray to God and guarantee he'll listen is, God, I'm a sinner. I know that I am a sinner, and I need you to be my Savior. I want to give myself to you. I want you to be my Lord, my Savior. I want to follow you in my life. And you turn your life over to him, man, he says I love, uh, he'll love us, he'll bring us in, and he will never leave us. So I hope that you will do that if you're lost. But sin can hinder your prayers. In Psalm 66, 18, Psalm 66, 18, Scripture says, If I regarded iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not hear me. In other words, if I put up with sin in my life, God's not listening. Because I've chosen sin over God. I've chosen to do my thing over the glory of God and the will of God. And and so, God's sort of like, Hey, you want that? You can have it. But you're not going to have me too. Uh, My mom used to tell me that Uh, My dad was in the Navy when they met. It was down in Charleston. My dad was part of a motorcycle club. And and, uh, one of the guys in the club, while my my dad was about to go back out to sea, and one of the guys said, hey, you want to go to a movie? Talking to my mom or something. And he asked her out. So she asked my dad. They weren't married yet. "Uh, Randy, do you you care if I go out with him, you know, to a movie while you're out to sea? He said, you can go out with him anytime you want. You don't have to go out with me. There's not enough jealousy left in the world, I'm telling you. (laughs) My dad wasn't playing games. He meant it. You can do whatever you want, but there's consequences. The Bible says the consequence of our sin is that God's not necessarily, he's going to bring some correction in our life if we're walking outside of his will. And so our prayers get hindered when we are allowing sin to reign in our life. And then, here's one, I I quit preaching, go to meddling a little bit, but especially to us men, but it affects our wives. Let me read it so I don't get in trouble. In First Peter three seven. Likewise, husbands live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. God says our prayers are hindered, guys, if we don't live with our wife in an understanding way. Now I, I've got that same natural reaction you do. That sometimes I, I respond in anger, or aggravation, or whatever. Um, and, and that's wrong. And, and we need to step back and go, wait a minute, I need to understand what's going on. We need to love our wives to Christ because we hinder their prayers because we are made one flesh before God. And if we're not treating our wives as one with us and as a joint heir of the grace of God, it hinders our praying. And so we need to listen and understand those things. So I just want to get that out of the way. Those are some things that can hurt your praying. I'll tell you something else hurts your praying if you don't pray. That's a real bad one. You just need to be praying, okay? You say, well, I don't know how. Just start talking. I mean, if you now talk to your friend, you can pray because you're just talking to God who's your father. You just say, hey, God, here's where I am. God can handle however you talk, whatever you want to say. God can handle that. I promise Uh, he can do that. So, I want to talk about some elements of prayer, some things you can do first of all, I think prayer ought to have worship it, prayer get helps us to get to know god and 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 let me let me explain what I'm, i mean by that uh it is we get to worship God, we get to know him, and prayer is not a one way conversation it's not a just a monologue. it is a dialogue. God can speak back but let me be very careful in how I'm saying this. Because I don't believe that God speaks outside of his word. All right? Anything God wants you to know, it's in here. So if you think that God's put an impression in your mind or in your life, or, or you came up with something and it sounds like, well, maybe God was pushing me that way, I promise you there's something in here that covers that. And if there's not, it ain't God. Okay, God never leads us contrary to his word. Y'all can say amen at any point. Okay, God never leads us contrary to his word. And so I'll show you later on a verse in John 15 that says, if, I, if we're abiding in Christ and abiding in his word, and his words are abiding, that means living with, saturating us, then we can ask whatever we wish and, and it will be given because we are praying according to his will. But in prayer, if you've saturated yourself with God's word and then you begin to pray, and again, tonight he'll be talking about praying scripture. As we pray to God, he's able to emphasize that truth of the scripture into our hearts, into our minds, and into our life. You see, worship in prayer is, is how we begin our praying. Yeah, and, and, you know, when I was growing up, people say, well, you confess your sins because you got to confess them before God can hear you. I get that, but you don't know what your sins are unless you're looking at God. Because if I'm not looking at God, I'm looking at you, and I can tell you, I'm better than you. No, I'm kidding. You might be better than me. And if you are, then I'm discouraged, right? And if I think I'm better than you, I, that's pride. It's not true, and it's pride. You can't, you can't go there either. Amen, right? So, we look at God because he is that perfect example. And James tells us, it says, when we gaze into the perfect law of liberty, we see ourselves how God sees us. In Isaiah 6, what happened? Isaiah says, I saw the Lord, and I said, woe is me, I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. When he saw, he said, for mine eyes have seen the king, the Lord of, of glory. When we see God, it helps us see ourselves Better in a real, a more real light. It leads us to repentance. That's when we confess our sin. And so we start in worship. Do you know in John 4 23, Jesus is talking to the woman at the well, and she says, Hey, our father said we ought to pray on this mountain. You Jewish people say we ought to pray down there, which is true, and he said neither. Said God is seeking people to worship him. He said, There's coming a day when you won't worship on that mountain or this mountain, but the true worshipers of God will worship him in spirit and in truth. Because God is seeking people like that to worship Him. Now, I want you to understand what Jesus said there. He said, in spirit and in truth. I want you to think about it, that those are two words of two things that I've already said. Spirit is praying in the Holy Spirit. It's prayer. It's talking to God. It's having that relationship with God because the spirit is life, right? If we don't have a spirit, we're not alive. We're dead. And so, we have a spirit. But truth, this is the truth. Jesus is the truth, and this book talks about Jesus, and this book is the truth. Amen? So we worship him in spirit. We're alive, you know? Some, some people in some churches are dead and just don't have the D.C. to lay down. Y'all notice that? So we, we worship with life, with spirit, but we worship with the parameters of the truth. The, this is our guardrails. It keeps us in the right lane, going the right direction. Okay, you with me. I just want to make sure I'm communicating right. So Jesus tells her God is seeking people like that to worship him. And so we come to God. We, he is looking for us to worship. And if we start, and that's why I started with Psalm 84 and showed you an example of taking a, a phrase or a, a verse and praying it back to God. And How lovely are your dwelling places, O oh Lord our God. He is lovely. His dwelling place is lovely. He's promised to take us to those places. And the Psalms is a good place to work because that's the worship book of the Bible, right? That's the hymn book of Scripture. But we need to acknowledge God. In, In our worship, we're acknowledging Him. You see, to pray is to be humble. You can't have pride and pray. Because what you're saying is, I'm dependent on the one to whom I'm speaking. That's what worship is. You're, you're greater than I am, and I'm dependent on you. But we, we live in a nation that values rugged individualism. And listen, there's something to be said for, for having some, you know, umption for yourself. The, the, the Bible says, bear one another's burdens, and then it says two verses later, bear your own burden. you got to figure that part out. Some, some things you just take, take on you because it's common and everybody's doing it, but sometimes you need help. And so for Americans especially, we don't, want to, we don't want to be dependent on anyone. But the Bible is telling us we got to be humble before God. It tells us that in James. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. And he will exalt you in, at the right time. And we, we humble ourselves before God, but we also are dependent on each other as a church. As the body of Christ, we are dependent, interdependent on one another. That's what God intended. He didn't intend any Christian to be a lone ranger. He didn't intend for any Christian to be, quote, unquote, more important than another. There's no place for celebrity in the body of Christ. Are you following me? you hearing me? I I know there are great preachers and great teachers, and I love them, and there are people that are heroes to me. But I hate this phrase But I'm using it anyway. At the end of the day, they're just a man. They're just a woman. They're just a sinner saved by grace, and God's given them something special, and they're sharing that with us. And before the throne, we're all the same. Amen? We're interdependent on each other and dependent on God, and so we have to have humility to even pray. And in that humility, we worship the Creator, the one who made us, the one who is not only fatherly toward us, but he, He is our Father. And that's why He's fatherly toward us. So we worship God to know God. And then, I've already mentioned confession. When you, when you realize your sin, you confess it, repent, turn away from it. But I want you to understand you can have confidence in prayer. You can have authority when you pray. I, I, you know, some, some people's personality are when they, we get, they ask somebody for a favor, or they need something, they, they stumble over their words a lot. They don't go with any boldness they're just like well I hate to bother you I know this is struggle. and I'm just going get to it man come on just tell me what is it and we kind, of, we kind of approach God like that. Like, oh God, you know, I'm just me. And you probably don't even know I'm here. And of course he knows you're there. You're his child. He watches you. The Bible says he knows how many hairs are on your head. I'm going to get some of mine cut off this week. But he, he knows how many, uh, he knows how tall you are. He knows how much you weigh. He knows everything intimately about you. He knows what, how many hairs you were born with, how many you got now, how many are going to fall out today for those who are losing it. Uh, he just, he knows all of that about us and so that's not why we have authority but God, understand God knows that much about you and, and so we, we tend to be timid but we have confidence in prayer we can have authority and where do I get that Matthew 28 18 verse 19 says therefore so what did 18 say all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth now you would be right to pause and say, well, that, that's good for Jesus, what, but what about us? Well, in the book of John, uh, chapter 17 and verse 2, if I can find that for us real quick. Here's what, here's what Scripture says there. Since you've given him authority over all flesh, talking about Jesus, to give eternal life to all you have given him. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had uh, with you before the world existed. That's the high priestly prayer of Jesus. And what he says in there is that we are part of him he is, he is in God, God is in Him, we're in Christ, and Christ is in us and in God. And so we have an authority to use the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. We can pray in Jesus' name. Back in chapter 14 of John, and uh, verse 12 to 14, um, he says, whatever, whoever believes in me will also do works I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father. And listen, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. The Father may be glorified in the Son. If you will ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Now, that does not mean, even though we do this and I say this, in the name of Jesus, Amen. Now, I think that's a great way to bring a prayer to a close. Our current governor, he prayed at his own inauguration. hadn't seen that in a long time, and at the end, he prayed in Jesus' name. That was neat. But it's more than neat. We're not saying in Jesus' name like it's a magic formula. I am saying I'm representing Jesus before the throne. I have His authority. I've been given a commission from him, and I can go into all the world and proclaim Christ because I have a commission from him. Now, there's some people that might not like that in some countries, and you might get killed for doing it, but you have the authority from God to do it. And so when we pray, we don't have to worry that he's not listening. He just told you, you could pray in my name. In his authority. Because he has how much authority? Yeah. Verse 18 of Matthew 28. He has all authority. And he's restored us to that same authority that we can ask in his name. We can. We have the power to ask him. John 15, 16 talks about this. Colossians three seventeen talks about this. That in his name we've been given this power. Uh, in fact Colossians uh, uh, I'm sorry. In Ephesians, it says that all things are being brought to subjection to the church. So, as believers in Christ, as the church of Jesus Christ, as a church, we can pray and see God answer. And then the third thing that I want to talk about in positive praying, we we talked about the hindrances, but in worship, and authority, and in supplication. Listen, supplication—the word means asking stuff from God. When, when we ask Him, "Hey Lord, this is what we're looking for here. This is what we need." Uh, it tends to dominate our pray- prayers to just ask God for stuff, and then we get uncomfortable with that. We know that there's something missing. Well, what's missing? We didn't worship. We didn't confess. We weren't very thankful already that He hears us, and but yet we're asking Him for stuff. So I, I think that's kind of ought to be kind of the end of uh, prayer time or the thing we don't do the most. But I want you to understand something: when you do have a request to give to God, it's not out of desperation. It's out of dependence. I tell you, you got to be humble. We're dependent on God. And he says, come ask of me. I want you to talk to me. He says, you can come into the throne room boldly with your petitions. And ask of God. He wants to hear you. Number one, it helps him to help us to understand his will. Because you might be asking something out of his will, and he needs to help us to understand that. So we can go in there bold and say, hey, this is what I want, but hey, not my will but yours. Isn't that what Jesus prayed? I didn't read it all in John 17, but he prays, Lord, if there's any other way, let this cut pass from me. And God said, no, you got to go to the cross. He said, nevertheless, not my will but yours be done. And he goes to the cross for us. And so whatever we ask, he grants if we're abiding in him. Uh, I'm still in John in chapter 15 and verse 7. Uh, is, is a very strong verse. Uh, and and we, we, we almost, if we took it out of context, man, it, it would. I, I think we could misuse it. But, but it's there. I want you to hear it. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, listen, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now, notice that there's some parameters on that. There's a, there's a prequalification. Um, that we are in his will. I know in, in Psalm, God says he would give us the desire of our heart. That doesn't mean he gives us whatever we want or wish for. It means that if we are in God and we are paying attention to his word and letting his word form our life, the desires of our heart will be his desires that he put in there. That, does that make a little bit more sense? I hope it does. It doesn't mean like, hey, I want a new car. God, that's the desire of my heart. I need a new car, you know, and God goes, oh, Check out the parking lot. I put one out there for you. you know, it's not that. It is that God, as we abide in him, is what it says. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he says, will bear much fruit. But... If you abide in me and my words abide in you, that word abide means to stay in there, to live there, to never leave there. that, that is, it, it's, it's almost the roots of a plant that it never leaves the soil and everything it needs is being drawn out of that soil and up into the, to the vine and the branches. And that's exactly what it is. If we're, if we're a branch in the vine, we are staying in that vine and our, that, we're that branch stuck in that vine and that life-giving flow it comes into our life from this and my words abide in you then you can ask what you wish because if his words are abiding in you you're not going to ask for a new car frivolously that may be something you need and you can ask God hey I need a vehicle and he might give you an old one but it'll run It's what God will put into you, what you need. And you will not misuse that, in a sense. But hear what he says. Whatever we ask, he grants if we're abiding. If we're abiding in him, and Lord, I want your will. Tell me your will. Give me your will. I'm reading the word of God. I'm figuring out what God wants. And then I say, God. I was reminded of a missionary the past couple of weeks. Who, who, I said he was a slave on a ship, and he's riding... Riding past Scotland, he said, Give me Scotland or I die. Well, is it God's will that people be saved everywhere in the world? It is. You can say yes to that, so say it. Yes. Psalm 2 says that he is making all the nations his footstool. And he sent us into the world to tell them about Jesus, right? So it is God's will that we ask him. To save people. Right? You think? I mean can, can you go boldly to the throne of grace and say Lord I want you to save some people? Could, could we as a church this year pray that God would save 22 people? So That's not a very big number. It's bigger than last year. Right? It, it, is that God's will? It might be His will to save 220. It might be His will to save 2,200. might be His will to save two. But could we go to God and ask Yeah, we can go with a lot of confidence about that. You don't have to abide very much to know that's His will. That people come to know Him. And so, why don't we pray that? Why don't we pray, God save 22 people this whole year. Let's just keep praying that. When we get to 22, let's go to 44. I mean, I don't care. You can pray for 100. I, I don't care, but shouldn't we be praying for that? You know where this breaks down? He's got to use you to do it. And we're not obedient. We're not talking to people about Jesus. He can do it without us, but he doesn't want to. The church is the vehicle in which the gospel rides. We are the ones, the church carries Jesus to the world. Somebody say amen. The implications of that are staggering. It makes us realize that most of what we do, we shouldn't be doing. And we're not doing a lot of stuff we ought to be doing. I want you to hear, as we ask God, as we bring supplication to God, I I want you to hear me well. God cares for you. All right? God wants your best. One, One man said, With God's perfect knowledge to know my best, with his perfect power to grant me my best, with his love to desire my best, what do I lack? I'm of all men most blessed. First Peter chapter 3, I mean chapter 5, sorry, and verse 7 says this. Humble your well, verse 6, humble yourself therefore under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. So God, I told you, we got to be humble to pray. And then he says, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. You're worried, you're troubled, you've been hurt. Don't Facebook it, face it. And take it to God and don't throw away. Bring all your anxiety to him. But there's a companion verse, I think, to this found in Hebrews and chapter 10. Because in Hebrews 10, he tells us to not throw away our confidence. He says, keep your confidence in 1 Peter 3, 7 because he cares for us. But in Hebrews 10, 35... And God says this, Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. Don't throw away your confidence. Have confidence and come to God with your need, with what you need from Him. And if you're anxious, if you're nervous, if you're scared, know this, God cares for you. And whatever God brings into your life is your best. If you're praying for His best, He's going to give you His best. It might not be the best you think, but it will be his best. And in John six thirty seven, he said he would not cast us out. That if we come to him, if we, if we come to him and say, Lord, I need you and I need your power, I need your strength, I need your grace, he grants that. Sometimes it, it, that doesn't have anything to do with the circumstance of our life. You may be, have the greatest things happening to you And still have a great need in your life, your emotional life, your spiritual life, your thought life. Have a great need for God. You may have everything going horribly for you and all that other stuff be okay with God. It's not about the circumstances or you can switch that up. So what, what I'm talking about is when we go to God, we go with our need, whatever our need is. And he cares for us. There are some that God calls to poverty because they can handle it. There are some God calls to riches because they can handle it. But both of them are a trap. The, the, the Proverbs teaches that. Lord, give me what I need. Don't give me riches and I forget you. Don't give me poverty that I curse you. Give me what I need. And whatever you give me, I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to use it for you. I'm going to follow your will with my life. And as we cast our anxiety on him, as we realize he cares for us, we realize he won't throw us out, that I belong to him and not even the devil himself can separate me from the love of God. Then whatever happens in my life is okay. I I, want to ask a question. How many of you plan to be coming to church here and sitting where you're sitting 100 years from now? Oh, none of you. Well, that was smart. No, (laughs) because you won't be here. You're either going to be in heaven or hell, right? So why you worry so much about what's happening right now here? You know, sometimes we get all upset about stuff. I like to say this. In a hundred years, nobody's going to remember, and there's a billion Chinese people right now that don't care. We could expand that. There's about seven p- billion people on this earth that don't care right now. And you're making it the everything. No, it's not. It's not everything. I promise you, it's not everything. God wants his will in your life. And he can take that and make something out of it. So that you're touching lives and you're doing things and you may not even realize it's happening. And God is using that in other people's life. And he's sending it down the line. So generations yet to be born will know the grace of God because of what you do now. And we have to entrust that to God and just give that to him so what can you do this week well evaluate your intimacy with Christ in view of your prayer life how intimate are you with him I, I thought about opening the sermon by bringing my wife up here and saying this is my wife been married 35 years and this is an illustration of me coming home and then I was just going to walk past her and ignore her. think that happens no that does not happen why because we have a relationship so why do you ignore God evaluate how much you ignore God by never talking to him. Secondly, begin your prayer time with intentional worship. Use the scripture. Come back tonight. He's going to talk about that a lot. So it'll, it just helps bring you into the presence of God when you take what God said and pray it back to him. So that's just a hint, something you could do. And then lastly, pray with confidence in Christ. Pray with confidence in Christ. Not confidence in yourself, but confidence in Him. He's the one with the authority. He's granted us His authority to go, but it's still His authority. We don't have the authority He does, but he, he lets us represent that authority into the world. And here's something I want you to understand. The Bible said, I've just told you, that He'll never leave you or forsake you. But I want you to think back what you learned about the cross. As Jesus hung there on the cross, there came to a point in time where he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And you've heard us preachers. We've talked about that a lot of different ways. And here's something very truthful. I'm going to tell you a couple of truthful things. One is, well, everything I'm telling you is truthful, but he was referencing Psalm 22. That's the first line in Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And what he was doing was pointing the people, the Jewish people that happened to be there, to, read, to think about that psalm, they probably had it memorized. And as you look at that psalm, it's the suffering servant of Jehovah. It's how the Messiah is going to die. And he fulfilled that whole psalm there on the cross. And then you get Psalm 23. I'm going to take a small rabbit trail. The Messiah trusting the Father while he is in the valley of the shadow of death. That God's going to do what God said he would do. And then Psalm 24, the exaltation of Christ. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lifted up. It's talking about Christ. But I want to come back to what he said on the cross. Because I think it wasn't just a reference to a psalm, it was actually happening. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because in eternity past, there's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three in one. You can't divide them. You can't separate them. They're one in power and purpose and intimacy. And they had never been separated. But the Bible says God is of pure eyes and a look on sin. And the Bible tells us that he, Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for our sake, that we might become the righteousness of God in him, that we could be sanctified, made holy, separated. And in that moment on the cross, when the Father looked and what he saw was not his son, but he saw Your sin and your sin and your sin and your sin and my sin. The father turned his back and the sky went dark and the earth started to tremble. And he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he said it so you never have to. He said it so you and I never have to say that to God. And we can say, thank you, God, that you will never leave me nor forsake me. The Bible lets us know, just in case you don't know this, that he entrusted himself to the Father. He said, I won't let you see corruption. I won't let your body rot in the grave. I'll raise you from the dead. And Jesus, as a man, gave the last measure of devotion to his Father. And he became the sacrificial lamb for me and you. Trusting the Father to raise him from the dead that we could know God and if we know him know his love for us and that we can pray to him and that he will never leave us and he's always with us why would you ignore a God like that